from Viton Career Coaching, it's How I Got Here, a show about business leaders, their resilience, and the stories behind their career moves. I'm Vincent Fanvan, and I've interviewed thousands of job candidates over the years in both recruiting and as a former corporate executive. Now, I'm on a mission to help you take the next step in your career. A corporate job opening attracts an average of 250 resumes, and just one person is going to get hired. It wasn't all that long ago that I was nervous and frustrated by my job search, but it doesn't have to be this way. You can navigate your career with confidence, spend every day learning, and drive to better yourself. You can be excited about the future. And in today's episode, we're going to be doing an Ask Me Anything. Thanks, everybody, for submitting questions. We're going to be talking about career strategies, mindsets, and tips. Okay, yesterday was kind of a crazy day for me. I sent out a text message to everybody with my new number. And you may have seen this trend of folks online sharing their phone number. Ellen DeGeneres has been one of those people. Hi, it's me, Ellen. Hey, I have a really cool new thing to tell you about. I am going to give you a phone number, so get a pen. I'll wait. Seriously, go. Go. Get a pen. Now, you need paper. Never mind. Just write this on your hand. Actually, I know you're holding your phone, so put it in your phone. It's 310-455-8858. Okay? Great. There. Now, text me. Seriously, that is my community number, so you can text me, and then I can send all of you text updates right to your phone. It's the future. Weird. Okay, text me. Bye. A lot of other people have also shared their community numbers. President Barack Obama recently tweeted out his phone number. Uh, Some of the other folks I connect with, Tony Robbins, Mark Cuban, Ashton Kutcher, all have community numbers. Even Tony Hawk, uh, who's been surprising people with skateboards if you text him. Um, And so I launched my community number yesterday and the response has been quite frankly overwhelming. So thank you everybody who has, who have sent me a text. I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I'm grateful. I got hundreds of text messages like within minutes and I'm replying to as many of them as I possibly can. But I wanted to let everybody know who's listening to this podcast that I saw your text and you guys are all the best. And I'm going to try to respond to as many as I can, but, uh, there were a lot of questions in the text messages. So I want to just take the time to respond to as many of those questions as I possibly can on today's ask me anything episode. And if you don't have my number yet, uh, like Ellen says, grab a pen, or I know you're all listening to this podcast on your phone. So just put this number straight into your phone. Shoot me a text. It's 615-667-8433. So that's my number 615. That's uh, Nashville area code 615 615- six six seven eight four three three so just open up iMessage or whatever it is on your android phone and shoot me a text to that number all right so uh the first one first question that we have here is from this is from uh aaron in las vegas who left me a voicemail yesterday and so here we go hi vincent this is aaron Adi calling from las vegas nevada i actually have a two-part uh linkedin question uh, the first part is, what do we do if we currently don't have a true job title? Like myself, I've been unemployed since March due to COVID, and the most recent title on my LinkedIn profile is my most recent job. Uh, is that the correct way to display things, or how should we go about that? And the second question has to do with, I just heard that recruiters are now searching via hashtags, 
and was told to put keywords with hashtags um, towards the bottom of the about section on LinkedIn. Just wanted your feedback and thoughts about that as well. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Aaron, for the question. The first one is, what do you do about your current job title? What do you do in your LinkedIn headline? And looking at your LinkedIn profile, your headline starts with senior IT project manager, which I think is perfect. Um, there is one thing in the job market that really stands out right now. And a lot of the recruiters that I've been talking to lately have reinforced this is that you know, it's a it's a very competitive job market for job seekers. There's a lot of very talented individuals and unfortunately less roles that are available on the employer side for obvious reasons with the pandemic. And so during an, a quote unquote employer's market, which is just a market, a job market when there's a lot more job candidates out there than the number of open positions and available positions, it becomes really important to be a more than average, better than average, and I might even say like top 1% job candidate. And so the job candidates who really stand out right now are the job candidates who are focused on upskilling. They're, they've been focused on some type of a project. They've been focused on something that either betters, the, betters themselves, betters their family, or betters their community. And so my recommendation would be that you pick up some type of side project, you pick up some type of side hobby, you pick up some type of like community endeavor, and you put that on the top of your LinkedIn as what you're currently working on. This creates an incredible story, especially in a crowded market where there might be other people with a PMP certification. There might be other people that are certified scrum masters. And when you have a lot of candidates who are equally qualified, these are the types of things that really separate the best candidates from the average candidate. So that would be my recommendation right now is whether it's starting a blog, whether it's starting uh, some type of website, starting a podcast, or you know, giving back, or being able to uh, to gain a new type of certification. Those are all the types of things that would make somebody stand out right now. Second part of your LinkedIn question is: Should you use hashtags in the bottom of your about me section to because recruiters are searching for hashtags? I don't buy into this. Recruiters definitely use Boolean searches. So when they're in LinkedIn, and I used to have a bunch of these algorithms and a bunch of these like uh, searches saved as well, you know, I would do searches for specific skill sets, specific past job titles, specific uh, certifications, and I would pop those into LinkedIn Recruiter, and it would generate a list of people whose profiles matched that attribute. In terms of putting a hashtag before those skills, though. I don't think that's necessary. So I do think in the about me section, um, there should be some type of uh, skills section and you can just use a comma separated list. No more than I would say two to three lines towards the bottom of your about me section um, with those skills. And then of course, what you put in your headline as well will come up in that same search. But I don't think it's necessary to use hashtags um, in there because they're really searching for the words, uh, not necessarily the hashtags. Thanks for the question, Aaron. And so if you want to leave me a voicemail uh, for this show, if you want to ask a question, if you want to leave a voicemail, um, I'm going to do the voicemail questions first, just because the audio is great for a podcast for obvious reasons. Um, but that number is 866-VITEN60. So 866-VYTEN60. 
and you can leave a voicemail there for a future Ask Me Anything. And typically, I'll pull the voicemails first. Uh, all right, let's move on to some of the questions that I got through text messages. And so to text a question in, you can text me. I gave the number earlier, but it's 615-667-8433. That goes to my cell phone. So uh, if you want to ask a question on a future Ask Me Anything episode, uh, 615-667-8433. The first question uh, comes from Renee. And this question is, it seems like companies frown on hiring contractors right now. Why is this? I thought companies would be cutting costs by replacing employees with contractors. And this would be a good way to get experience in a new company. However, it's very hard to find these contract jobs. Many companies say that they have contracts available do not seem reputable. And also contracting similar to the gig economy I hear a lot about. Um, I just don't see getting people getting contract jobs. So this is kind of a myth that contract jobs are more affordable or end up company, saving companies money. And the reason is because it doesn't necessarily save companies money on a month-to-month -month basis because um, a lot of the times when you hire a contract worker, you're paying a third party in between. And so there's actually an upcharge because you're you're paying oftentimes a third party um, to go find a contractor and then the third party is hiring the contractor and then after that, that contract employee is you know a badged contractor for your company. But sometimes this could, you know because there's a middle party or like an in-between party a lot of the times like through these staffing agencies, as an employer, you're actually paying about 20 to 35% more in order for the staffing agency sometimes to get their cut. Now, on the employer side, and Renee, I love this question because you know, like, these are the types of things that I didn't know until I was an insider on the company side, on the employer side. And so as a job seeker, these are the types of things that I had no idea. On the employer side, it is more flexible for an employer to have a six-month contractor or a 12-month contractor because it gives you flexibility you never know in the future whether it's on a project whether it's a new initiative or you know right now it, you know employers may or may not have an understanding of uh, and a forecast for how long the pandemic's going to last and so there's less risk for them if they decide to go with something like a 6 month contract or a one year contract versus a full uh, you know a full time employer employee um, and so you know with the contracts there you know that ends up giving an employer more flexibility, but it doesn't always save them money just because of that upcharge, especially if you're using a staffing agency. And then, you know, on those contracts as well, when you do a conversion to hire or you convert a contractor into a full-time employee, you're also paying like a finder's fee to that staff staffing agency as well to be able to convert that employee. And that ends up costing a lot of money versus companies who go out directly to the job market and they hire directly uh, versus through a staffing agency. So there are pros and cons at the same time. Uh, right now, you know, it varies uh, function by job function, industry by industry. But I am seeing a lot of companies who are leaning towards contract roles just because they don't know when things are going to be going to resume back to normal. A lot of us, uh, all of us don't know necessarily when things are going to be res uh, resuming back to normal, uh, just because a lot of that is based on uh, COVID vaccination and adoption of a COVID uh, vaccination. So there's some uncertainty there. But Renee, thanks for the question. Next question comes from Chris from Dallas, Texas. So Chris made a PowerPoint presentation for a startup. 
And he asks, uh, I would love to work for this startup. It basically shows that I've done my research and tells them why they should hire me. I already applied online, but I don't want to be another applicant in the pile. The website doesn't show any phone numbers or emails. Some of the employees have ignored me or they take a long time to answer back. How can I get this presentation into the hands of the hiring manager? And uh, this is something that I love is creating a project, creating a PowerPoint um, to be able to show an employer why you're the best candidate. And this is something that Austin Belsack talks a lot about, and it's such a no brainer. Um, but if you haven't heard of a VVP or a value validation project, it's a deliverable that benefits an influential contact at the company that you want to work for. And so, you know, most candidates just apply on the company website and they stop there. And so, Chris, what I love that you're doing is you're following exactly what I describe in the Viton method where, you know, the job search doesn't stop when you put in your application. And that's part of like the fallacy and the trap of like the LinkedIn easy apply button is that the easier it is to do, the more people who are applying and being able to take the extra step of finding decision makers at those companies and finding the other people around the decision makers who can influence the decision maker and to make sure that your resume, to make sure your application, to make sure that if you're doing a value validation project gets seen by somebody, that gives you a leg up over all of the candidates who are just applying, whether it's through job boards like Indeed or whether it's on a career website and they're leaving it up for chance that their application is going to get reviewed. And so your question in terms of how to make sure people see that a decision maker ends up seeing your PowerPoint presentation is a really great one. You know, people are busy right now and, you know, I have people that I'm very close with where I still owe them, whether it's an email response or a text message uh, response. And the truth of the matter is, is you just don't know what ha what's happening in somebody else's life. And so I always recommend following up with people. And I know it, it might sound, you know, pesky to be able to follow up with somebody. I know it sounds like you might be. Uh, bothering somebody to follow up with them. But this is part of where Austin's value validation project ends up being so important, right? Because it's a deliverable that benefits an influential contact at the company you want to work for. And the word benefits that is the key word there. Because you're not reaching out to somebody to try to bother them. You're not trying to reach out to somebody to beg them for a referral, to ask for a referral. You're reaching out because you spent time to create something that benefits them. The purpose of it is to help the other person. And that's a completely different reason to reach out. So that, that completely changes things. You have a responsibility because you've created something that's going to be helpful to that person. You have a responsibility to make sure that they see it so that you can help them. So... After this quick break, uh, let's talk about what that follow-up rhythm could look like. Hey there, it's Vincent. Real quick before we continue with this episode of How I Got Here. How would you like to win a personal LinkedIn profile assessment personally completed by me to help with your job search? I know I'd love to be able to help you out. And I know that I would have loved to have had somebody look over my LinkedIn profile and show me how to make it irresistible to recruiters and hiring managers back when I was looking for a more fulfilling career. So let's make it happen. Here's how. 
All you have to do is rate my How I Got Here podcast on Apple Podcasts and share it in just a few easy steps. Start by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. Then leave a rating. Five stars would be even better. Next, take a screenshot of your review and share it on LinkedIn or Instagram using the hashtag VitenPodcast. Each week, I'll select one random winner from the submissions to receive our 99 Job Search Templates Kit. This includes a job search organizer, email templates, LinkedIn templates, resume templates, cover letter templates, thank you notes, and even salary negotiation templates. Then monthly, we'll select a random winner for a personal LinkedIn profile analysis completed by me. So again, write a review, rate the show, take a screenshot, and share it on Instagram or LinkedIn with the hashtag VitenPodcast. Thanks for taking the time to leave me a review. It means the world to me. And this week's winner is Jessica Says, who wrote in her review, love hearing about the journey involved in how people arrived at where they are. Cannot wait to hear more. Thanks so much, Jessica, for the review. Just shoot us an email at hello at and we will send you your 99 job search templates kit. All right. Talk soon. And now back to this episode of how I got here. Okay. Welcome back. So when you're following up in a job search, and these are strategies that I learned when I was in B2B enterprise sales, reaching out to key decision makers to be able to show them the value of a solution that I was selling. In a job search, that solution is you, right? You're showcasing yourself. And so in answering this question about, you know, how to follow up, the similar uh, to another question that I got from Jabber, who's from Toronto, Ontario. Um, if I'm able to get the email of somebody on the hiring team after I've submitted my job application, is it okay to cold email them about why the company resonates with me so strongly and attach my resume and cover letter with it as well? Yeah, absolutely. But uh, you know, some of the things that you can do even before you reach out is to warm up that contact on LinkedIn. If they are posting on LinkedIn, if they're saying, hey, we're hiring on LinkedIn, um, if they're posting uh, content, you can engage with that content and then reach out and then it's not cold anymore. It's not a cold reach out anymore. And, you know, people are busy. So if you don't get a response in the first message that you send out, here's what the follow-up sequence looks like. The first thing that you should know about following up with folks is warming up your contacts is really important. And warming up your contacts just means, you know, you don't have to be connected with somebody on LinkedIn to be following them. That's something that a lot of people don't know. You can follow anybody on LinkedIn. And so when they're posting their posts, um, after you press the follow button on their profile, those posts will show up on your newsfeed. And one of the best ways to warm up your contacts before you send somebody a cold message is to engage in their posts, whether it's hitting that like button, whether it's hitting the heart button, whether it's leaving them a thoughtful comment in their post. Those are some of the best ways to start building a connection, start building a rapport with somebody. Then after they respond to your comment, after they hit the like button on your comment, you know, this is then, you know, an invite to be able to connect with them and to be able to strengthen that relationship. That's oftentimes where I would either send a connection request and then personalize the connection request based off of the, you know, adding to the post, adding to your comment and kind of continuing on that conversation or sending them a LinkedIn in mail and uh, or sending them an email. And so my typical cadence would be send a message, wait two days and then follow up on day three. Then let three days pass and then send a follow-up on day like six or seven. 
let seven days pass, then send a follow-up on around day 14, let 14 days pass, and then let, then send a follow-up on roughly about day 28. So each time you're letting a number of days pass and then you're following up. And if they still haven't responded at that point, uh, my follow-up sequence would be something like follow-up every 30 days uh, after that just to say hello. But with each follow-up, you're following up with the intention of helping other people. Less focused on yourself, more focused on how you can add value or how you can help somebody else. And engaging with somebody's content, sharing a podcast episode, sharing a helpful article, or just furthering the discussion, letting them know what you think about a question that they've asked uh, in a LinkedIn post or responding to a poll uh, that they might have put out. All of that is so that you're helping other people. And, you know, the truth of the matter is, is then you don't also have to feel like you're bothering somebody. You don't have to feel like you're um, being selfish by asking for help for yourself because you're going out with the intention of helping other people. And then karma will come back full circle. And so focus on helping other people. And if you're truly focused on helping other people, then the follow up becomes easier to do because you're not being selfish. You're not being, you're not trying to ask for something for yourself. You're truly going out there with the intention of helping somebody else. And that's why uh, Austin's strategy here with the value validation project is um, really, really key because the intention of it is you're going out to create something that's helpful to somebody else. All right, the next question comes from Doyen, who's from uh, Calgary. I'm currently working as a call center agent, but I know this is not the destination. I've worked for various customer experience, improvement projects and initiatives, and really hope to get back to that, but it doesn't seem like any of those are currently available in my current company or country. So I'm looking to get into process improvement. Now, my question is, is how do I launch my career in process improvement? Are there specific hints that you can offer me or directions that you can point me at? Um, because I need to be able to make a move in the coming year. Thanks for all that you do. How's your daughter? I'm sure she'll be bigger since Hope Summit. Thanks again. Um, yeah, thanks for asking. Uh, my daughter, Lily, it, you know, we had our first birthday party a uh, few months ago in June, and she is getting big real fast. And she's walking now and starting to talk, and uh, all of it's just incredible. So thank you. Um, now, on your question about process improvement, uh, you know, in the PI space, uh, there are certifications in this space. And so one of the first things that I would do is take a look at some of those uh, certifications. And so Six Sigma is a pretty common one. And so if you're looking to start a career uh, in process improvement, one of the first things that I would do is take a look at process improvement courses on Coursera. There's a lot of uh courses on Coursera that you can take um, for Six Sigma Yellow Belt um, and just Kaizen uh, in general. And yeah, if you take a look on Coursera, that's a good place to get, st uh, to get started um, as a beginner. However, uh, I would take a look at getting the Six Sigma certification if that is a space that you want to go into. And I think that's one of the first steps that you can take a look at. And you know, if there are not roles available in your specific country, I would then take a look at process improvement roles for, you know, the reality of it is, is that many call centers before the pandemic were large brick and mortar operations. And uh, I think that's going to change, you know, uh, having a thousand people all inside of the same building, um, there's no business continuity there. And so 
uh, when something like a pandemic happens, when something like a hurricane happens, uh, it can have, have an adverse impact on that operations. And so I would take a look at uh, potentially call centers that are uh, remote call centers or like work from home call centers are still going to have process improvement capabilities. So check out Six Sigma, do a quick Google search, and uh, I would get started on working towards your Six Sigma uh, yellow belt. All right, the next question comes from Gail, who is from Gary, North Carolina. And Gail asks, what resources would you most recommend for somebody trying to figure out what direction to take next in their career? I'm at a point right now where I'm not sure if I should continue with my career path or make a change. And then, if so, what change to make? Uh, many thanks for suggestions. So, Gail, there's a couple different resources that I would recommend checking out. The first one is, uh, if you do a Google search, I'll include a link in the show notes as well. It's the IBIS World COVID-19 Special Report. So IBIS World, I-B-I-S World, one word. Uh, they have a COVID-19 Special Report. And one of the things that this uh, report does is it categorizes country by country, industry by industry, what the impact of the pandemic has been on that industry in that specific country. And so there's high, medium, and uh, low impact. And uh, high impact could be good or bad. Um, all it means is that there's been a big impact to that industry, but that impact could be actually accelerating that industry. So for instance, in healthcare, in, uh, you know, there are uh, things like vaccination research or healthcare research in general, where the pandemic has had a positive impact, meaning that there are more roles available uh, in that industry. And then also, obviously, hospitality is one where also very high impact, but it's a negative impact. And so what this report will do, which is free, you can download the report uh, for free. Um, what it will tell you is industry by industry, as you're considering changes into future industries, it will tell you whether the impact was high, medium or low. And you can take a look at whether that industry is growing or shrinking. That's the number one uh, first thing that I would do. The second thing that I would do is to take a look at whether your skills and experiences are transferable into other passions. What I mean by this is if you are passionate in, in about interacting with other people, helping other people, and your role and what you get energy out of is interacting with other people, and that's what you've really enjoyed about your career in the past, I would take a look at careers where you're able to transfer that passion. And so... One example that I always give is sales and recruiting in both sales roles and in recruiting roles, which these are two completely different careers. You're interacting with other people. You're meeting new people. You're hearing about their journey. You're building relationships. And then uh, you're trying to help those people, whether it's help those people in a recruiter role in placing them into a new role or whether it's in a sales capacity in trying to help them implement a new solution to improve their business or um, something like that. And so I would take a look at if you write down you know, the attributes of your past experiences and the things that you've really enjoyed and not enjoyed, and then map those out to other different types of functions or industries, this will help you give you a sense of what companies and what industries are growing right now and hiring right now 
as well as from a personal standpoint, where your passions and what your life's work is and what you're going to get energy out of. And I think the intersections there between companies that are currently hiring in that type of function and in that type of industry, as well as things that you are passionate about and get energy out of doing, that cross-section is going to be where you want to go in the future. All right. I hope that's helpful. And let's go to Susan from Westlake, Michigan. Um, Susan says, hey, last week and a half have been discouraging for me. I've had a phone interview that I was really hoping would go well. Um, I like a lot of job postings. They want a graphic web designer and I'm a print designer. So I'm thinking that I might need to go back to school, looking into a, a coding boot camp as well. So I wanted to ask, you know, how do you lift your spirits and motivations when you get in these low periods, when you feel stuck with a job search? Um, Susan, I think these are great questions. And I think the first one is knowing that you're not alone. Having a community around you, you know, uh, there's a lot of folks who say, you know, you're the average of the five people that you surround yourself by. And just being able to have support of others who are going through the same thing that you're going through and being able to share support with each other, being able to vent with each other, but also having an accountability buddy to be able to go through this search with is really, really helpful. And so, you know, if you don't have that type of support, I would say first and foremost, find a partner find somebody that uh, where you can support them and they can support you in that way. That's number one. The second one is I would say, you know, the barrier between a designer for print and a designer for web design, there's an overlap there. You know, if you were to draw a Venn diagram, there's overlap there. And so that is something where maybe one of the things that you do right now is you create a personal website. Uh, for yourself, a, per, a personal portfolio uh, for yourself, and you show that you can be adaptable and that although your toolkit and what you focused on in the past has been a lot of print design, um, perhaps you start expanding into graphic design. And, you know, a lot of this is being able to create your own portfolio, but by launching a personal website and showing that you can design your own personal website, um, this could help get one foot in the door into that space. Um, the coding bootcamp, I think, is a great idea. Um, you know, UX is a growing area and getting a little bit technical uh, there so that you can move into whether it's app design, like for mobile apps, desktop apps, or web design. Um, and there's something called uh, PWAs or progressive web apps. Being able to sharpen your skill sets in the areas that employers have a, a desired skill set in the future and being able to future proof your skill set, I think, is something that's really smart uh, to be doing. And you heard me at the top of this episode talking about upskilling and what you're doing right now to improve your worth, improve yourself and focus on creating a better future for yourself. Um, sharpening your skill sets in areas that are desirable to employers as you're seeing the market change, for instance, from print design to web design, I think it's really smart to take a look there. And I think it's a really smart investment to be able to make. The second part of your question in terms of lifting your spirits and motivation is actually pretty similar to this question from Angie from Ann Arbor, Michigan, who asks, you know, how can you avoid burning out, especially a perfectionist that are high achievers? How do you how can people balance health issues like surgeries with your desire to be an overachiever at work? Here's the thing. 
your health, your family, your faith comes first. And without having a solid foundation there, it's really hard, if not impossible, to be a top performer, to be a top achiever at work. And so that's something that you have to take care of first and foremost. And, you know, some structure there starts with how you're eating, how you're exercising or not exercising, how you're taking time for yourself, how you unplug when you're not working. You know, it's possible to be a perfectionist, to be a workaholic, but it doesn't mean that you can do that forever. And whether it's in your job or whether it's in your job search, you can't do anything for 100 hours a week and expect that to be sustainable. And so getting healthy balances in all of those areas end up being really, really important. And being able to build habits in those areas ends up being really, really important. And it starts with just taking the first step and building a behavior there. There is a mobile app that I installed recently. And for those of you who are on iOS 14, uh, the latest version of iOS, if you have an iPhone or an iPad, uh, you may have noticed this new feature called uh, dashboard widgets, where you can have like dashboard widgets on your home screen. Android has always had this, but it's new to iOS. And there's an app that's called Streaks. And I'll put a link to it in the show notes. And uh, Streaks was an app that I downloaded recently. And I have four different streaks. And, you know, it's basically like a reminder to myself that these are like the goals that I'm setting for myself. But my different streaks are uh, taking my vitamins consistently, a.m. and p.m. So that's one of my four. Uh, Drinking 100 ounces of water every day. And so uh, I have a 20-ounce Yeti and uh, Yeti, you know, tumbler that I use. And so uh, five times a day, my goal is to refill that Yeti and then, uh, you know, drink that water. And then I have one for uh, cycling. So I have an indoor cycling bike and my goal is five times a week to spend at least 20 minutes uh, cycling, um, which is, you know, not a lot of time uh, to be able to do. Um, And, you know, I've found that those are the things that are important to me if I can get consistent with it. And so I really love the Streaks app that I started using. Uh, I'm not an affiliate for streaks or anything like that. It's just an app that I started using a few weeks ago, uh, that I thought was, you know, pertinent, uh, here, Angie and, uh, Susan, like these are the things that have, have been able to help me stay consistent with the things that I know I need to do in order to, um, be mentally fit. And the last one that I have in the streaks is, uh, there's a thing called a Pomodoro, uh, timer, but the Pomodoro timer is basically, you know, a productivity hack or a productivity style where you set up a to-do list, but you work on the things on your to-do list in 25 minute increments. And so you start a Pomodoro Pomodoro timer, which is just a 25 minute timer. And then at the end of that, you take a five minute break where you just stand up, you walk around, you take a quick uh, break. In my instance, sometimes I'll, uh, from working from home, I'll walk downstairs, I'll refill my Yeti and just take a quick uh, break. And then after that, I restart my timer and I jump, I move into my next 25 minute uh, task. But I find, you know, those are the four things that are on uh, my iOS uh, homepage now in the Streaks app. And, uh, you know, it sends me notifications reminding me if I'm like halfway through the day and I haven't done my second or my third uh, cup of water, you know, it'll just send me a nice reminder. Um, But uh, Streaks app uh, has been helpful to me in terms of getting like these ongoing behaviors. Uh, that I want. 
song from Los Angeles. Uh, song says, I use the XYZ formula on my resume. Love that. Uh, XYZ formula, for those that haven't heard me cover it, um, is a strategy from Google that Google recommends people use on their resumes, on their LinkedIn profiles for basically writing bullet points. And it's basically each bullet point should be measure, uh, accomplished X as measured by Y by doing Z. And so every single bullet point is, this is what I accomplished, here's how I measure it, and here's what I did. And it's just a nice framework to be able to quantify what your accomplishments are and move from job responsibility to key results and accomplishments. Because right now, especially in a competitive job market, employers are hiring folks who are standing out above the crowd. Not just people who can do the job, but people who are delivering results and can speak to their past accomplishments. And so uh, her things that she asks herself are, um, could I do something similar in my next role, mirroring? Uh, is this freakishly impressive? And does it honor the merits of resume real estate? And if not, cut it. And what is a rose? What is a bud? And what is a thorn? And so I love Song, what you're talking about there. And when I look at Song's resume, I think something that's impressive about, um, about the resume is there's a one-page version of the resume and a two-page version of the resume. And one of the bullet points on here is identified a $4 million gap and recovered $3.9 million from a $10 million engineering project due to historical data, match five senior stakeholder interviews and over 115 docs. And so this is a good example of using the XYZ format, right? The accomplishment recovered $3.9 million. Um, and so that's clearly quantifiable, right? It's an achievement as measured by the $3.9 million in savings. And how that was accomplished was by doing a project with historical data analysis and being able to match the savings to uh, five senior stakeholder interviews and 115 uh, different documents. Um, and the other thing that Song does on the resume is use bold words. And the bold words on here are FP&A, cross-functional, and efficiency. And so by using bold by using different typefaces, you're really drawing your eye to what you want people to see. And so I would recommend for everybody, you know, number one, what Song's talking about in terms of the resume real estate is so true. Recruiters on average spend six seconds on average reviewing resumes. The top half of the resume gets more eyeballs and uh, a quick look before deciding whether to look at the rest of the resume. And so you want your accomplishments to really stand out on the top half of your resume. And people read, uh, people read at least in English, from left to right. And so top half of your resume focusing left to right, the left side is where you want the biggest thing to stand out. And if there's something that you want somebody to draw their eyes to, that's what you should bold. And so you can make a decision as to whether is, is it the job title that you want somebody to focus on or is it the employer name that you want somebody to focus on. And you know if your resume is full of top companies within their industries that are name brand recognizable companies, then you might choose to bold the company name. But 
if it's the position, whether if it's the job title, or you're trying to show that you were promoted three times within an employer, then you might choose to make bold or italicize the job title. And so those are the biggest things that I would really think about is how do you showcase your key accomplishments? How do you tell the stories that you want to tell in an interview and have your resume lead you into those fantastic stories that showcase your accomplishments? And how can you, in a glimpse of a resume, make sure that your eyes are drawn towards the best things that showcase you as a candidate because you are selling yourself in your resume? And we're going to wrap up this episode with one more question. This comes from Nicolette from uh, Miami, Florida. Hey, Vincent. My question is, how do you tackle the question, what was your previous salary from the HR recruiter on initial phone screen? Live in Florida so they can legally ask this question. So as an aside, in some states, employers are not able to ask uh, this question. And so state by state, uh, check out where you live. But in Florida, she says, um, you know, they can legally ask this question. I'm aiming for a title pay higher than my previous role since I was supposed to be promoted this year. So this is what I do. You know, the and you hear me say often, I'm sending out on a mission to help people find fulfilling careers with the pay and purpose that they deserve. And in a salary negotiation, this is absolutely key. Some recruiters will try to push candidates to name a number. And you know what they're trying to do is they're trying to make sure that they don't go through all the work of setting up interviews, all the work of making sure that it's a good fit if the candidate is not going to fall within their budgeted range for that role. So I would say you know, early on in your job search, you should definitely know what you're worth and what the market is for both that specific job function, that job role, as well as the city that you live in or compared to uh, the country's average. There's a lot of tools online that can help you uh, take a look at that research. Some of them are Payscale, Glassdoor, LinkedIn even has a feature um, now. But you know, number one, first and foremost, you need to know your value. Second one is I would flip the question over on uh, to the recruiter hey, I'm really interested in this role and I'm really excited to find out whether this role could be a great mutual fit. Um, is there a chance that you can share the budgeted range for the compensation package for the hire for this type of role? And what this does is it turns the question around over to the recruiter to be able to share the budgeted range. And if the budgeted range is a good fit for you, then you can simply say, hey, I'm confident that when we get to that point, that we can determine a compensation that's fair for this role. If you're working with a recruiter who's playing hardball and they're pushing you to know, to give a specific number, then that's the point where I would give a range. Take the number that you would be really happy with. Take the number that based on your research for that type of role, that type of function, that type of level in that type of city and get to the best data that you possibly can Add another 10% to the number that you'd be really happy with and then give a range. Hey, uh, for this type of role, I'm looking for a compensation between 110 and 120,000 uh, as an example. But this is where doing your research upfront, understanding the market and understanding your worth ends up being really important if you get pushed into the scenario where you're backed into a corner and they're, they're telling you that they absolutely need a number from you before you can move forward. All right. Thank you so much, everybody, for sharing your questions on this Ask Me Anything episode of How I Got Here. Two ways to share a question if you want your question answered in the future. 
first one is leave me a voicemail, and I'm going to pull the voicemails first just because they're great for a podcast. You can leave me a voicemail by calling 866-VITEN60. That's 866-VYTEN60. Or shoot me a text message. Uh, My text message, my cell phone number is 615-667-8433. So leave me a voicemail if you really want your question answered. If not, shoot me a text, 615-667-8433. All right, everybody, take care. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to the show this week. If this podcast was helpful to you, the best thing that you can do to support is please consider rating and reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts. This helps us help more people just like you move towards the life that they desire. Visit our podcast on Apple Podcasts, then scroll to the bottom, tap the rate with five stars, and just leave a sentence or two about what you loved most about this episode. You can subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts, or you can write at hello at viten.com. I'm Vincent Fanvan, and you've been listening to How I Got Here.